What up? This is the Noob Dev Talks podcast. As always, my name is Adam Not Cheese, aka Adam Reed, and with me, Jose Rivera. Today we have our first professional, uh, kind of stranger to our inner circle of friends, uh, but he is a fantastic guy with uh, the emails that we've been sending back and forth. Um, he is a senior cloud architect at a company that I won't name yet, but if I started listing his skills and the things he's done, I, it would take an entire episode. So I will leave the conversation to bring those things up. Um, welcome, Luciano. It's a pleasure having you here. Yeah, hello, Adam and Jose. It's really my pleasure to be here. So thank you very, very much for inviting me. Really glad you had the time. We know you're extremely experienced, so it's a great time to kind of pick your brain about your transition or like your learning into becoming like from a coding at like 12 years old, as we saw on your LinkedIn, all the way into being like a senior architect. That's just a crazy <laughs> journey. And we really, really appreciate you having the time to speak with us. Yeah, I, I don't know where, where should I start. I don't know if you have any more direct question or something. Well, oh yeah. I do want to start it off before we get into anything technical. Um, so I was looking through through your website, and you know I saw that you have like some like black belts and stuff in different like fighting disciplines. But there was this butterfly maker thing that I saw, and mm -hmm. Adam and I are both very curious about it. What what does yeah. that entail? <laughs> yeah, so the, I'm gonna give you the short version, but basically. When I joined Twitter, I, I started to see that a bunch of people were putting in their own description like weird things, like things to just inspire curiosity and maybe reach out and ask like, what does that even mean? I was like, okay, what, what am I going to do with my bio? Like, I need to find something interesting like that. And I, at that time, I realized I was doing like a paper origami with like butterfly shape. And that's why I put that in there. But yeah, it was really to just put something somewhat original but i'm not really sure it did work well I, we think it did we think it did because we're <laughs> yeah now you now you know my secret by the way <laughs> that's something that we never even thought of like a just like a little key thing to make people like i wonder what this is i need to ask <laughs> i need to do that that's something i need to do <laughs> yeah i i personally thought it was uh you know when people like they catch butterflies and then like they frame them so like they kind of lay them down and put them in a, in, a, in a glass thing and frame them on the wall i thought it was that i was like oh, okay but then the maker thing kind of threw me off it's like are you like fabricating butterflies <laughs> yeah i prefer the paper version of the, yeah. the real killing the real thing and putting it in a frame <laughs> uh, now luciano uh on your linkedin you did say that you, know, you really like Super Mario Brothers. Now, I'm into speedrunning and like, you know, playing games. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you ever completed Super Mario Brothers without dying? I don't think so. No, I'm not uh... that crazy about I mean, I really <laughs> enjoy the game, but in a more relaxed way. I just play kind of to relax, not to to compete in any way, I, I guess. I understand. Now, Sorry to disappoint you there. It's okay, it's okay. But is there any other games that you'd like to play besides Super Mario Brothers? Um, so in the last few years, I've been becoming more and more of a casual gamer, I suppose just because of time and I don't exactly. want to put too much energies into that. It's more a relaxing thing. I have a Nintendo Switch, so I've been playing a little bit of Zelda and 80s lately. But even those games that you could probably play for hours, I've been trying to limit myself to, I don't know, short sessions. 
I've been seeing that myself. I used to game a lot uh, whenever in my previous position before I started coding. I used to game a lot, but now since like I've started coding, it feels like I you can spend your time like better instead of just wasting time playing games, even though it's fun, but sometimes it's mm -hmm. better to just be learning. Yeah, no, I know in myself, I used to play a lot of Final Fantasy for like four hours, <laughs> so I don't want to go back to that habit for sure. That was me with RuneScape. I played a lot of RuneScape. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, I remember every every day after we were in the boot camp on here on Discord, it, it would say Adam playing RuneScape every single day. That was a, <laughs> that was the thing. Pretty cool. Um, very, very so Luciano, I was also kind of reading your your bio. It's you you started coding at the age of twelve using your father's old Intel three eighty six. What was that like? Yeah, I think that was a very lucky moment for me because I, I feel that it's not so common that you can discover your own passion when you are so young. So that was kind of a, an interesting gift, I guess. But basically I was, uh, I really wanted a computer because I had some um, relatives in my family that they had computer mostly for their own profession. And I always was fascinated to see like all the kind of things that they could do and create just by playing with the keyboard and the mouse and drawing things on the screen. And I only had this opportunity to have this very old computer, didn't even have Windows or anything, just MS-DOS. And it was very limited with what I could do or I could even understand I could do. Until one day I was just looking at a book, it was like a school book, and at the end of the book there was something like, oh, this is QBasic, this is how you do programming, and if you have a computer you just run this command, and you could, you're you going to have the editor there, and you can start to play around with things. Mm -hmm. And I did try this command, and it did bring me this kind of blue screen in MS-DOS where you can type like basic code and run the interpreter. And that was basically my introduction to programming. I was literally copy pasting manually things from the book and see what <laughs> would happen on the screen. And it was actually really fun. I think for a 12 years old, it's probably weird that that was fun. But I did enjoy like trying to understand what happens if I change this. What does this really mean? Can I do this thing that I really want to do? What, what kind of code do I need to write to do that? And I, I think I did pretty stupid programs, but at the same time, it was fun and it was kind of the beginning of starting to develop that passion that never left me, at least so far. Wow. So you're, you're like a, a true bred. You're from, from the bottom to the top. You started very, very young. Yeah, and that's why I say I think I was very lucky with that because I, I realized that it's not very common for people to discover that passion so early. So you you have essentially a little bit of an advantage that you can start to cultivate that uh, for so long, basically. Right. So so it wasn't you know it wasn't a surprise when you decided to go to university for computer science. That was just a given. Yeah, exactly. That's why uh, it was easy for me to to make that choice for sure. That is so nice. But did you ever, do you ever recall like, uh, I know you tinkered around with the, uh, like the i386, but did you ever make any games since you did play games back then? Did you try making any little games or recreating any that you liked? Yeah, I think the most sophisticated thing that I did was some sort of a, like a, a lottery game where you need to pick some numbers and then there is like a random extraction of numbers. And then if you match a certain number uh, of 
like certain choices that you made, then you kind of win a prize. But that wasn't like the most interactive game ever. <laughs> I think the only thing that I did to make it a bit more interactive is that I figured out how to do some audio manipulation. Okay. And I did like some sort of a song in the background and simulated some animation while I was randomizing the numbers. But that was really the most sophisticated thing I ever did in basic at that time. That's nuts. I didn't even know you could do like sound, like create sound in basic. That's almost like a, there's a package for React called like React MIDI. And there's, a, you mm -hmm. can have like a little sounds through a package, but that's nuts you could do with basic. Yeah, and I, 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 of course I didn't know either. I just found some <laughs> other snippet, snippet through the book and I was literally copy pasting and changing things and see what would happen. So that, then I basically put everything together and that was the most sophisticated program I could come up with. You know, I think that's kind of how we all start being kind of like a, like a script skitty. You know, just copy mm -hmm. and pasting and see what works and then adding like different stuff that we find elsewhere and put it together and then call it our own. Um, I think I, I can definitely relate to that. Obviously, I started a lot later than you did, but... Um, but yeah, that's that's. I think that's how most of us got our start. You know, you, you can't really write stuff from scratch. You're just copying and pasting and see what, mm -hmm. what looks nice. My introduction was a little different. I'm gonna say this. I started uh, doing when MySpace was a thing. Whenever you could uh, you could custom you could make or uh, put in HTML elements into your MySpace profile. Like you could do. Oh, nice. Um, H reps. You could do um, line items, unordered lists. You could have a whole bunch of stuff, and I didn't really understand it. I just wanted my profile to look cool. So I would look up things on how to do, like, um, hrefs. And so I was doing that on MySpace. I was, like, 14 or 15, I think. But that was, like, the only amount of code that I knew. I primarily mm -hmm. focused more on, like, a, like, 3D modeling and graphic design. But that was my first introduction. Not as fancy or cool. It was just MySpace. <laughs> Nice, but I think that's pretty cool because uh, you make me remember that when I got my real computer with Windows, like, and I could do go and surf the web and start to do more serious things, I guess, I was fascinated about the web and how easy it was to act things around. Like, you just write some HTML, some JavaScript, and you see the results straight away. Right. And that at that point, I wanted to do more and more of that. And I think that that was also one of the tipping points in my career, even though I didn't have a career yet at that time. <laughs> oh, man. It's the early days. It's very peculiar how everyone first gets their first like little, little taste of code. You either like it and you just keep messing with it and you go through all the struggles or you, you hate it. You just, you can't mm -hmm. deal with it. How did you end up like kind of honing down into the the whole like no javascript type world and not like other languages mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good question so i guess i will have to start from php because at that time where i was starting to discover the web and what it means to build websites like how do you do it what kind of technologies do you use i think that was the time when uh, PHP was still very strong, was still the main language used everywhere. Mm -hmm. I still remember files with extension .php3, so that, that was the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did that for a number of years. My first professional job was all in PHP. Oh, Even, 
when then I moved to Ireland, my first job in Ireland was all PHP for a number of years. But at that point, I also did a number of uh, years working with JavaScript on the front end because, of course, that's still today probably the only language you can use for the front end. And uh, I was fascinated when I discovered Node.js about the opportunity of being able to use the same language effectively for both backend and frontend. And that's why I started to kind of study more and more and see finally how much can I share between backend and frontend, remove a bunch of code duplication that I had to deal with basically forever with PHP and JavaScript. And that was how I got so passionate about Node.js because really you could really not just use the same code, but the same mindset, the same patterns across backend and frontend. So that, that's why I really enjoy doing Node.js. I mean, you enjoyed it so much, you co-authored a book on Node. So I think, yeah, you succeeded on that. How did you do that? <laughs> like, how, how did you attack Node and like be able to make a book? I think that's also another interesting story that I'm going to try to summarize because otherwise okay. we can stay here forever. <laughs> but another lucky moment, I guess, in my career. Mm -hmm. So basically, when I was studying uh, Node.js, I was um, living in Cork, which is Southern Ireland. And that was my first year abroad. And basically, I did find this book called Node.js Design Pattern and I read it and it was so insightful. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I started to play around with the idea of, okay, I can do this little, I don't know, thing in Node.js and maybe open source it and go to around and ask for feedbacks, feedback in, I don't know, communities on Facebook and stuff like that. And maybe I can learn something. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I can optimize things. Mm -hmm. And I remember I ended up in this community on Facebook with a bunch of Italian software engineers or something like Node.js Italy, I think. Okay. And I did post my first CLI script that was something that could allow you to download like um, an entire photo gallery from Freakler, something like that. I think oh. it's still on my GitHub. And just because I, I needed to do that and I was like, oh, this is the perfect use case for me to experiment with all the things I'm learning with Node.js. And I got a bunch of interesting feedback and the lucky moment was that Mario, who is the original author of the book, was in that group and he started to reply to me and gave me a bunch of useful feedback. And then at that point we started to interact and I discovered that he was living in Dublin and I was ready to move to Dublin the next year. So we, we became friends and uh, eventually when we met in Dublin, we started to go out together and, and then he, he was asking me at some point, Oh, I did have a look at your blog. I like the way you write things. I like that you are very passionate about explaining the things you learn. And I'm looking for somebody else that could help me to write the second edition of this book. And that was a little bit of a happy and a scary moment at the same time, because I, at the time I, I didn't feel like I could be in a good position. I, I didn't have all the skills to, to be able to do that. But since I wasn't alone and I already read the book and it was not like writing an entire book from scratch, it was more mm -hmm. working together, keep it up to date and maybe add some new content. Right. I kind of wanted to take the challenge and uh, I, I don't regret that at all because it was the, the best possible way to learn more and consolidate my experience and also something that still today, it's very valuable in my career to, to say I have been writing a book and after that we even wrote together the third edition that was last year so 
is still something we are doing together and it's still something that allows me every day to keep writing and learning about Node.js. Mm. So how would you, uh, when, so you met him, right? How, how long was it since you started your professional career as a developer that you got this opportunity to write the book? Like, was it like three years in or, or how long? That's a good question. So for me, it's a little bit hard to really give you a number because I, even when I was in college, I was somewhat working. It wasn't really like a professional career, but I was building websites and software for friends and family. So in a way, I was a little bit early in that process. I think since my first, let's say, non-freelancing engagement, it was probably about four or five years, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so you had, you had plenty of experience when you were, I mean, you, you didn't feel like you had the knowledge, but you had plenty of years of experience to, to back up. Uh, to write yeah, software. I think I had generic knowledge in terms, I can write software, but when you write a book, it's kind of <laughs> scary because you don't want to say anything that is not perfectly correct. Right. Because it's going to stay there forever. Like you cannot really easily update it unless you do a new edition, right? Uh, so I, I felt that every time I was writing something, I needed to be double sure or triple sure that that was correct and the best possible way to, to do that specific thing. Uh, so that, that was why I didn't feel like I was ready for it. But just going through the process, it's something that forced me to, to go deeper and learn more and ask people and get feedback and change until I was feeling, okay, now I really understand this. And now I can go around and say, this is the way you do the specific thing without being afraid that I don't really know that specific topic. But I didn't have that certainty before I started. So yeah, that, that's that's why I, I do recommend everyone to even, I mean, not necessarily to write a book, but to yeah. put out some content, it could be a blog post or anything really, mm. because I think it forces you to to see things in a different way and it gives you an opportunity to, to go deeper and understand more. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think we felt that uh, at the Coop, like helping other engineers that are starting out the fact that we we're like walking them through or explaining things that we've already done right. but explaining them to them that you know they understand things differently and you know everybody's different so you gotta explain it in a way that they understand i think that really has helped us to mm -hmm. know and understand things better even though we already knew them in in a way so it mm -hmm. it helps us not only communicate better but also learn what we already know better yeah, I totally agree with that. Sometimes it's just uh, even a question that you get and you realize, actually, I don't really know the answer to that question. Let me figure it out and come back to you. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely another opportunity for learning more and understanding more. Now, I do want to go back a little bit, Luciano. Uh, whenever <laughs> you're looking at your background, you primarily were in Italy in the early 2000s, like the 2010s. That was primarily where you stayed and then you transitioned to Ireland. How was that and like what led you to working in Ireland and you know, how was that change from moving or living in Italy to being in Ireland? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately I have to say it's not so uncommon for Italians in, uh, at least in the IT industry to move abroad. And I suppose this is because uh, the market in Italy is very different from what you can find in Ireland, in UK, even in Germany or in the Netherlands. 
where you tend to have generally bigger companies with bigger opportunities. And even if you go to smaller companies there, the level is higher because there is like more competition, more companies are more eager to hire people and make sure they are happy. So that that was somewhat my motivation to explore things abroad. But at the time when I moved to Cork, which is in the south of Ireland, it, it was because I was trying to build a little startup with some friends mm-hmm. and we had this opportunity to participate a program that was organized by Bank of Ireland where basically they would help you out to try to see if the business was viable they would give you a little bit of funding some advisors and you had like six months to try and bootstrap something and see if that would work and lead you to get more investment and maybe build a more serious company oh, so wow. we went through that Yeah, we went through that process, which was really cool. Again, one of the moments of my life that I think (laughs) shaped me the most, I guess. (laughs) So really lucky to to have that opportunity, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though that the company at the end didn't really work out, we did a lot of mistakes. I think that the usual things, we were very young, we over-optimized everything without thinking about the real problem we wanted to solve. Mm -hmm. Normal issues and mistakes you will find probably in any startup when you do it young enough without much experience i guess Uh, but nonetheless it was a great experience and i did really enjoy the um, culture in ireland i really enjoy um, talking with people working with them to the point that i decided okay i want to try to stay here i'm seeing a lot of opportunities i need to go back and become an employee like work for other companies and i see that there there are many many opportunities here let me try that and I still remember I was able to go one day from Cork to Dublin by bus. I did an interview the next day I had an offer. Again, maybe I was really lucky there, but that, that was how easy it was to be able to do interviews and get offers. So I just took that first offer and I moved to Dublin and that, that's and then I stayed there basically since now, which is six years, I think, wow. at this point. Do you feel like uh, you could start startup right now and have it be successful do you feel like you have enough experience and like knowledge startup wise to do that now i think i understand a lot more so probably i will do less mistakes but with startups i think there are so many factors that even if you are a seasoned entrepreneur you'll you'll never really be ready to do the next startup Mm -hmm. because every time it's just a different game maybe a different industry maybe a different moment in history for that market and different needs so yeah, I think I could try. Maybe I could be luckier than the first time. Maybe I could give it a little bit of a fair shot. But at the same time, I am enjoying the, the kind of work I'm doing now because I can focus a lot more on technology, which at the end of the day is what I really like. And when you have your own startup, like technology is almost a second thought. You should really think about problem customers, making it viable, making sure you have a competitive advantage, hiring people, working with people, making sure that everybody knows what to do and how to do it. So at the end of the day, you don't really have a lot of time left for the tech stuff, which is what I enjoy the most. (laughs) But that's also something I wanted to ask. How do you keep all of that knowledge? How do you keep all of this information on like the multiple languages and frameworks that you know? Do you just like, are you an expert at Googling? Do you have like your own filing cabinet with like notes or are you just a genius? 
Definitely, I don't feel like I'm a genius. Probably I'm more of an expert at Googling and copy-pasting. <laughs> I, I think in general, I think at some point you start to develop some patterns in your mind. And uh, I think that's something you can reuse across languages and frameworks. And also something that can guide you whenever you are learning something new to speed up the, the um, understanding of new technologies or, or new framework. Because at the end of the day, yes, there are a good number of concepts, but that number is somewhat limited. So you'll keep encountering the same concepts over and over, just in a slightly different shape. Okay. So I think to me, that's the most important thing. Try not to learn a framework or a language like by memory, but more understand the concept and understand when to use certain ideas rather than, than others. Yeah, so it's kind of like memorizing a structure that you know it's going to fit you best to learn something. Exactly, yeah. So I, I'm not particularly worried, for instance, to learn a new technology. Of course, I'm not going to promise my employer I'm going to be super <laughs> proficient for, from the first day because definitely not my case, even though I know people that are capable of doing that. I, it takes a longer time for me to, to be there, but I'm, I'm not worried. I'm sure I can figure it out unless it's like a totally foreign language with absolutely new concepts, which doesn't really happen so often. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of want to change that that answer into uh, we saw that you're kind of learning Rust. Um, mm -hmm. What what started that that? you know, that impulse to, to learn Rust and are you, do you have like any projects that you're working on professionally that require Rust or is it just like a, an extra thing that you're interested in with friends? Yeah, I think it's more of a curiosity, but I didn't really put too much thought into it, but I'm in retrospective, I'm realizing that in the last few years, I've been trying to explore some languages that have significant differences between them. And I suppose that's just because of curiosity. For instance, a few years ago, I was having a look at Elixir just because it's, uh, I was fascinated on the documentation itself and how well they explain functional patterns to the point that I was just reading the documentation. I wasn't even coding. I was just reading the documentation to understand the kind of mindset. And with Rust was something similar, I guess, because Rust is kind of a system level program language, even though they the community likes to say that you can build anything with Rust, but in reality it was born as a system level language. Mm -hmm. And I never done system level things. I, I did a little bit of C and C++ at the university, but nothing really worthwhile mentioning, I guess. And uh, just the idea of, okay, let's see what that looks like. How does it feel? What kind of concepts do I need to learn? I think that was fascinating to me and that's why I'm going through the exercise. And thankfully, I have some friends that kind of share the same idea and it, it makes it easier. It makes it more fun to, to do it together. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what Adam and I and a couple of our friends, we, we've recently gotten into 3JS. Um, we don't have any professional projects that are requiring, you know, 3JS knowledge. It's just we kind of got together. We were curious about the idea of being able to make all these cool like 3D stuff and animations and have the move and all that. So we're taking, uh, we're taking a course on that together. Um, that also kind of mixes or, or blends in uh, Blender uh, to, to create scenes and stuff. So that's the equivalent to your Rust is 3JS for us. <laughs> that's uh, really cool. cool. Uh, I, I wish you, you could show me something. I hope you will in the future because I'm really curious about that stuff. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we can share some, some files or some projects with you. Nice. It's a lot of fun to tinker around. If you've ever messed around with like, uh, like Maya, Cinema 4D, um, like AutoCAD, Autodesk, um, Blender, Unreal Engine, stuff like that. It's essentially the same thing, but you just have to write out all the code instead of having a GUI for it. <laughs> that sounds <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> There's also uh, a package called React uh, 3 Fiber, which kind of goes hand in hand with 3JS when you're going to be using it in a React project. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they have these, you know, separate projects. So they have like React 3 Canon for like the physics stuff that you can import and, and, and work, play around with. So. But before you use this React 3 Fiber, you obviously have to know 3JS uh, on its own so that you can kind of use this this package to, um, it, it kind of, it, it assumes that if you're using React 3 Fiber that you already know 3JS because a lot of the, the yep. things mm -hmm. that you're doing, it's like shortening up the code that you would have had to write. So it, it's just for the people that already know to write less code and do things quicker. Oh, nice. So, so they probably give you like React components for the same concept. Yeah, you pretty much. Right. Okay. But it sounds sounds pretty cool. Now, we did have a question. Um, we want to shout out Fred from the Coop. Fred has a question. Um, mm -hmm. He had a question regarding what are your thoughts on Dino? Uh, D-E-N-O. It was mm -hmm. created by the dude that made Node and it's an alternative to Node. Uh, have you messed with it at all? Yeah, no, that's a question that keeps coming up and I understand why it's a little bit of a, uh, an interesting topic and I have mixed feeling if I have to be honest about that, mm -hmm. because on one side, it's, of course, I, I, I love Node.js. I have been involved a little bit with the community in different ways and I really love the work that the Node.js community is doing. Mm -hmm. and. So definitely I will choose Node.js over Dino in general because of that. And also I didn't like that much that when Dino came out, he was almost bashing out Node.js like, oh, Node.js was all, all wrong. We should have done it this way. While at the same time, I didn't feel like the uh, original author of Node.js when he did Dino or the first prototype for Dino, that he wanted to try to tr the same ideas in Node.js. It was more like, oh no, this is never going to work in Node.js. I'm going to do this other thing here. And mm -hmm. in, on one side, I totally understand that, of course, if you try to push very different ideas into a project that is solid and established and with a lot of people gravitating around it, it gets very hard to get any traction. So if you want to experiment, of course, it makes sense to try things in, actual, in isolation in a new project. But at the same time, it was weird to see that friction, like, okay, Node.js is all wrong. We're going to do this thing here, which is going to be amazing. And it's going to be a full replacement to Node.js. So and now I see that it is true that there are some very good ideas in Dino, but at the same time, Dino is struggling to, to take over because they are rebuilding everything from scratch. So there is a lot of effort now in rebuilding the entire ecosystem from scratch. While at the same time, Node.js and JavaScript is probably the biggest ecosystem in software you can find these days. Right. So it's kind of weird that you have two things that could work together to try and build something even better that in all effects, they are working against each other. So maybe the kind of um, competition could be also good because I'm seeing that Node.js is starting to uh, explore ideas that they didn't consider before, maybe just because they feel the competition with Dino. So that's definitely good. But at the same time, it's weird to see this conflict rather than two groups of people working together to achieve better results. 
Right. So I don't, I don't really have a, a well-rounded opinion. It's kind of conflicting a little bit, but I don't know. I didn't know there was conflict. I didn't know there was any friction between the two. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? You got you got this huge community that's been using Node for, you know, I don't know how many years. And, and now kind of Dino comes in, it's like, hey, just everybody jump over, I'm better. Uh, so it, it's, I think it's a matter of time and, and, and trial and error for Dino to, to slowly gain traction, but it's not going to be from like, you know, one day to the other. It's going to take a couple of years for that to make an impact. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's most likely. And I think maybe at some point there will be some level of compatibility. So picking either Dino or Node.js. It's gonna, not going to be a huge difference in terms of the software you can actually run on the two platforms. That will probably be the best outcome. So kind of to get away from Dino for now. So you're, <laughs> you, you're an architect now. So you, you're, I'm assuming you're doing less coding than you were doing before. Um, how how is that like or why why did you like slowly kind of transition into the like cloud world architect world yeah so basically uh, my career i've been mostly a full stack software engineer so mostly working on web projects and doing both to some extent back end and front end maybe a little bit more back end but nonetheless i did enjoy doing both things and understanding both things. Mm -hmm. And I, in the last two companies that I've been with, actually the last three, I've been more and more exposed to not just building the software, the, the web part, but also how do we move it to the cloud and make sure that it works as well as possible to the cloud and it scales and all these kind of things. So I, that, that, that was happening quite organically it was not something that i really wanted to do it's just okay we need to do this and i was there and i was interested in doing it <laughs> so over time i kind of started to get that experience and i did enjoy complementing my knowledge and understanding okay like software doesn't end there there is an entire thing we need to do in the cloud and it's essentially the lifetime of the software you cannot look at it in isolation like when you start to see also what happens in the cloud you understand okay we need to think about it in an holistic way it's not just i do the software here then i throw it over the fence to another team and they will deal with it <laughs> so that that what got me more and more into architecture and in the in this new role that i started in the last six months i am officially uh, an architect in the previous role it was kind of mixed it was yeah, you are a senior engineer or principal engineer, and you also work by, I don't know, with other people, maybe a DevOps team, and make sure that this thing can be shipped to the cloud in the best possible way. Now is my first role as an architect. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit worried. Like, I really enjoy coding. Yeah. What, how is that going to look like? Like, I, I had this expectation that by being an architect, I wouldn't code as much. But in reality, and again, maybe I'm just lucky with this company, uh, the company that I work for is called Fort Theorem. And basically the way that the company likes to work with our own customer, because we are a service company, is we embed ourselves in the team and we work with people, engineers in the team of our customers. And so we end up even doing 
pairing sessions where we call together and we ship eventually the solution to the cloud. So I'm actually finding myself coding a lot more than I expected. So I'm really enjoying this kind of mixed role where I get to be an architect because I'm involved in the architecture decisions. But at the same time, I'm also working with the team. So I get to code and see the solution really taking shape. That is beautiful. It's like Luciano, you've gotten you've gotten very, very, a very good path from the looks of it. Just looking out from what we saw and what we're hearing now, you had a very good path of just getting in right when you needed to. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, uh, maybe I didn't mention all the other 1 million things that I did and tried <laughs> and failed miserably. But I think, yeah, you the more you do, the more chances of success you can have because you can probably eventually find what works, what doesn't work, what do you like the most. And mm. at that point, you start to build your own path, I guess. But definitely, I was also lucky in a bunch of occasions. So that that's, that's for sure. I'm not going to discount that. But even though um, I always got to say, like, even though it's, it seems lucky, but there's always plenty of hard work behind it. So it's never actually lucky. You just bust your ass for it. <laughs> that's really all there is to it. And sometimes I think, uh, what would have happened if I never posted that, I don't mm. know, Flickr utility on that forum? Right. Maybe I would never have written a book, right? <laughs> or what, what, what would have happened if I never applied to that accelerator program in Ireland? Right. So, yeah, sometimes I think you've got to take the chances and then maybe you're lucky, maybe you're not, but at least you create an opportunity for yourself. Mm. And I think that statement right there is a good ending point to this episode. Luciano, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us and answering all of our little questions. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun and I hope we'll have chances to meet in real life with a beer and have a drink and have another casual chat like this. Yeah. We are we are so down for that. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> well, that right, concludes guys. this episode. Thank you. Bye.